Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do thank God for you joining us on this evening at the On the Wall Ministries at our Bible Institute here at the, uh, On the Wall Ministries. We thank God for each and every day. We want to congratulate all of our mothers on Mother's Day this coming Sunday. Mother's Day, I thank God for my mother for instilling in me the Word of God. Her and my father, they raised us up in the admonition of the Lord and so thankful for them doing that and we praise God for all that have joined us on this evening. We see a few clicking in on Facebook Live. We give God all praise, Lord, and honor for what he have done in us, through us. We, we thank you for joining us as we study the cross of Christ. As we studied on last weekend, we ended talking about the reality of the cross and, and uh, if we've missed the meaning of the cross and, and how it relates to us and, and which, which leads us to um, the reality that that we're going to deal uh, dive into this coming study. We're talking about the history of the cross tonight. Uh, uh, when we talked about the reality of the cross, we said that we all need the truth of the cross. And uh, E. Stanley Jones, he said these words. He said, the cross is the key. Uh, if we lose the key, we fumble. The universe will not open uh, to us. But uh, with that key, in our hand that it holds the secret the cross is not just an event that we need to discuss is not just an image that we need to view if the cross represents the truth for us to believe in and all that we believe in everything in our relationship to god is centered around the cross the cross is the central figure the central uh uh, uh message in the gospel message itself is the message of the cross. So truth is to be believed, truth in, and you can bank your life on the fact that the cross and the reality of it is real. So the history of the cross, we're going to get into that tonight. Uh, let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would just, Lord, your dear servant, uh, in the deep well of our salvation, Lord, touch my lips that I might boldly say those things you have laid upon my heart. Give me clarity of mind. Help me to realize, Lord, that I need you right now. Touch in a mighty way. Lord, just help us, O Heavenly Father, that as we glorify you, Lord, that we might be able to let others know about the goodness of the Lord and, and how through that spirit and through our faith and through the belief that we have that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that we might have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this day. We glorify your name and we praise your name. In Christ Jesus' name, we don't all pray. Let every heart say amen. So, so good to look at uh, our lesson tonight, the history of the cross. So, we talked about, we asked the question as we ended our last study, is the cross is, is the truth. We need the truth of the cross. But the question uh, that we need to ask tonight, what is the truth? We're talking about the history of the cross. What is the truth of the history of the cross? What about, uh, uh, what do we need to know that, that represents this cross in our everyday life? So we're just going to give you a brief uh, synopsis of the uh, church history of the cross and how Christians in the history uh, of the church, how they viewed the cross. Uh, one term, uh, and the key theological term that, that we want to be able to study tonight about the cross is the cross gave us the atonement. Uh, need to look at this word 
uh, the atonement, uh, to be at one with the Lord. Uh, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it brought us back into full fellowship with God. It brought us to be in one relationship with God. So if you look at the word uh, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to be at one, uh, and this is how you would spell it, A-T-O-N-E, at one, M-E-N-T, atonement, at one, to be at one with God. That's what we need to be. Have that atonement. Uh, we, we need to be, so we need to look at that, how God put us in that right relationship through the cross of Jesus Christ. So this picture, how is God, that holy God, and the sinful man uh, that we are, how do we get back together again, united together? How do we become atoned? And what is the condition or, or what is the price that has to be paid in order for us to come back to be in at one relationship, at that one relationship with God. What do we have to do to do that? Uh, something had to happen. We, uh, we, we were uh, born in sin. The scripture says that we were shapen in iniquity. If we are born in sin, shapen in iniquity. So the scripture says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So every one of us, we have to come to the realization that we need something to bring us back into alignment or back into atonement with the Father again. So here, what has to happen in order for this to take place in our lives, uh, to be at one with God? What does the cross provide for us to come in alignment in that oneness with God again? Uh, what has the cross does to provide us with the salvation that we need? The answer to that question is, is a multifaceted answer, and, and, and we're going to see uh, go through some of those tonight as we study, but there have been all kinds of different theories about what the cross does and how it is manifested within the church. So as we look at what the church does, what is the significance of the cross uh, to the church? All kinds of theories out there. We're going to look at many of those theories as we look at it tonight. Uh, one of the theories that we're going to look at tonight real quick is the ransom theory. Y'all write that down. It's the ransom theory. Uh, church fathers from the origin all the way back uh, past uh, centuries. Uh, one of the theologians, Gustav uh, Olin, he, he, he said that in the cross of Jesus, it delivers us from the powers of evil by paying a ransom price to the devil. Now, now, now you got to look at the language that, that it didn't just pay a ransom, but it paid a ransom price to the devil. That, that's what uh, 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 Gustav Olin said, that that's what we call the ransom theory. So the picture here is that, that we are held captive by sin, by the devil, and, and God has to have pay a ransom to the devil in the form, in order for us, uh, by, by the death of, of Jesus Christ to buy us out of the captivity we had because of what happened way back in the garden. And, and, and if you've seen uh, 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 C.S. Lewis's movie, The Chronicles of uh, Nadia, uh, it, it, it talks about uh, 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 being in a place where 
uh, we are uh, conquered by the devil. And, and if you're conquered by the devil, somebody has to pay the penalty or the price for that. So that's a ransom price. But you got to be careful when you uh, start talking about ransom prices, like somehow uh, God is uh, bidding with the devil for our souls in, in a sense that he's paying the price, giving the devil a little bit more power and authority than we should. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's the one who conquered the devil. He paid the price in order for us to have our freedom. But now uh, it's, it's just a, a small grain of truth in that, like I said earlier. But what we have to be really careful about is that we need to look at this theory and, and, and to realize uh, uh, not that the Satan ha has this prerogative to make demands on God. We don't want us to ever think that that, that the devil uh, gave God a, 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 a prerogative. If you don't do this, I, I'll do this. No, Satan is owned. He, he is owed something by God. And this goes against much of what scripture is trying to teach us that Satan is owed something by God. So he, he you got to pay a ransom. You owe something. So the, 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 the Bible doesn't teach us that Satan owes uh, uh, something, uh, uh, that Satan is owed something by God in order for God to come back and pay that ransom call. This goes against our teaching. So there is such a grain of truth in this. So you need to be careful about teaching that ransom uh, theory about, uh, uh, about the cross. Then we move to the second theory of cross. It's called the moral influence theory. Uh, main proponents is, is Abelin, uh is a 12th century theologian. He said that in Bushnell, also the father of the modern liberalism in the world today and our American liberalism. But the main point they said is that there is no necessary payment for sin that needs to be paid. The cross is simply shows us how much God loves us in order to persuade us to love him. See, God loves us so much there is no a price that, that, that has to be paid for our sins. That's that moral influence uh, theory that is being taught. He loves us in so we uh, look at Christ on the cross. We see God loves us and he cares for us. And this is very striking familiar uh, with the modern day gospel that many have preached. We say God loves, love, love, instead of saying that God is a, a, a judgmental God. God is serious about us coming to him and loving him. Yes, God loves us, but but he, he loves us in a way that 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 uh, it has nothing to do with this type of, of, of theology that we're looking at. God is love. Moral influence theory is saying that he loves us and he does that simply to show us how much he loves us. That's what he gives us. Then next we look at the example theory. Uh, uh, that, that, there's a theologian in the 16th century that was teaching that, that, that there is no difference. There is no necessity uh, for payment of sin. And, and, and then what is much more like that moral influence theory that we had just talked about. But the difference here is that the cross simply, uh, this is what the example, the cross is only a demonstration. It's not real. It's, a, it's not a, a reality. It's only a, 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 an example of how we should love others the way that God loves us. So Christ is teaching us that we can love 
other people just like he loves us. And, and, and that's the example. The cross is an example of the love that God has for us. So we need to show that love to others. Like we said, take all of these with a little grain of salt, but all of them, uh, there's a grain of truth in each one of them, but you cannot look at each one of them holistically and believe that this is the total theory of what God is doing uh, by allowing Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And then next is the government theory. Uh, uh, Hugo uh, Grotius, a 17th century uh, theologian, he, he says that there is no necessity of payment for the cross. It only demonstrates the justice when the law is broken in order to persuade us to turn from our sin. So here he said, instead of focusing on the love of God, uh, Grotus says that the governmental theory focuses on the justice of God and says that not, uh, not that this is a price that has to be paid for people's sin, for specific people's sin. Instead, this is God saying, I am serious about sin as the judge of the universe, and I am going to show it in a way Christ dies on the cross. Governmental theory says that he did it because God was the judge that will judge us in justice. All of that is a partial truth, but it's not the totality of the character of who God really is. But then let's look at also the satisfaction theory. The satisfaction theory, uh, many uh, of the Latin early church leaders, the, the reaction in many ways of the ransom theory, basically saying, no, Satan doesn't demand anything from God, but God is the ruler of the universe, and the cross satisfies the honor of God through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, basically, he's talking about how God is restoring uh, his glory and showing his greatness in by the cross. And, and to that point, showing his rulership, his governorship all uh, over all of the creation that he made, the good thing about this theory is that here he begins to focus us on God-centered understanding of the cross. You've got to get to the God-centered understanding of the cross to understand what the reality of the cross is. And one glorious truth, uh, that this, this leads us to the last one uh, we want to be able to look at uh, this evening. It says that the penal uh, substitution theory, uh, this principle, the reformers during the Reformation age, they took this, this uh, 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 one principle and he said, yes, there is God-centered perspective, but the focus through, though, is what's going on with the cross, is that Jesus is paying the real penalty for sinners in their place as their substitute so that the righteousness may be credited to them. So Jesus is dying as a substitute for sinners. And, and all of that is partially true. Take it, uh, some of that is a grain of truth in it, but it's not true totality. You have to take all of these theories and try to break them down into an understandable a way of explaining uh, the history and, 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 and the reality of the cross. So, But there is one glorious truth. Let's listen. Now we take all of these together, like I said earlier, and, and we got a different theories reflecting dimensions of atonement, and I think uh, we'd be safe ground saying that uh, there are grains of truth in each one of the theories that we looked at, and I've listed some of them. 
The cross is no question, listen to me, a, a triumph over the forces of evil and death. Sin, death, and the grave was put uh, in its place because of what happened on the cross. No question, the cross demonstrates or communicates the extent of the love that God has for each one of us. That is the truth. And no question that we see God's love for us in everything, even what he did on the cross. You know what the scripture said? That even while we were still yet in our sin, God demonstrated his love for us by allowing Jesus Christ to die on the cross. So this, this obvious truth is all of these have one grain of truth in each one of them, but they have to be put together to understand the total reality of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He says that there, there's no question uh, that, that, that the cross, that, that, that the cross in 1 Peter 3, the cross uh, uh, illustrates the significance of God's justice. And, and we definitely see the justice of God expressed by, uh, by what he did on the cross. The cross honors the character of God. And, and it shows us uh, uh, and demonstrates the glory of God in every way. The cross demonstrates our need for a substitute. Like we said earlier, all of these are partial truths. You have to take each one as a grain of truth, but we need to put them together in order for us to understand uh, what this atonement is doing as we, uh, 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 as the cross frees us and brings us back into oneness with the Father. Then, however, if, if you boil it all down, let's look at the totality. Tonight, we're going to Boil it down to one central truth of expressing the meaning of the atonement of what Christ did on the cross. I want to show you in scripture, if, if, if we had to sum it all up, the cross is about two things that we need to write down tonight. Satisfaction through substitution. And, 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 what, and what I want to uh, a purpose tonight, is, is as we study tonight, is we want to look at the heart of atonement and the heart of what's going on on the cross is these uh, two words, uh, uh, satisfaction through substitution, how that represents what Christ's doing on. So the real meaning of the cross, satisfaction through substitution. We're going to start on that study a little bit tonight. So let's dive right into it. The meaning of the cross, satisfaction through substitution. What we see at the top of the page, 1 Timothy uh, 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 2, 5, and 6, uh, it's only part of this verse that we want to be able to look at tonight. And, and, and we see uh, uh, the words contained here. We said that, 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 that these are going to be a guide for us throughout this study. Uh, Packer said that is these words that he's talked about the key, not merely the New Testament, but the whole Bible. For they characterize or crystallize into a phrase of the sum and substance of the message that. So we have here the two verses that are really going to guide us through the rest of our study as we look at it uh, tonight. The study tonight, it gives us this word divine satisfaction. Our scripture says tonight in 1 Timothy, uh, second chapter, verses 5, he said, there is only what? One God. And he's the mediator between God and men. And, and, and the man, Jesus Christ, who he gave as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here, uh, Paul, uh, 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 Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to help him to realize that this, that this is one God. There is only one God. 
And, and so what we're going to do is to unpack these two verses to be able to help us to understand uh, uh, this phrase. And, and we'll start with divine satisfaction. There is only one God. This is the key. When we come to the cross, the natural inclination for many of us to say is, what does the cross mean to me? We, each one of us has to answer that for ourselves. What does the cross mean to me? We, we, we are, we are, we are, we are me-centered and, 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 and the sinful nature about mankind is that we are always looking inward rather than looking heavenly uh, toward the sky, that we are centered on me, centered on ourselves, concerned about our own rights. And, and what does this do for me, the cross? No question, it does things for us, for us, but not ultimately, that's not going to answer the question. The question is, what does the cross do for you and I? What does it do for me? Likewise, the ultimate question is, what does the cross do to Satan? Uh, how, does, how does the cross affect Satan? It's part of this whole picture that we're studying as we look at it. Uh, God must act at all times in absolute consistency with the perfection of his character. The ultimate question is, how does the cross affect God? If it affects Satan, it does also affect God. What about uh, uh, that we want to get into uh, our minds and our hearts is to understand that God-centered understanding of the cross is a must. A God-centered understanding of the cross uh, in some way of uh, uh, finding a different way to look at the cross, how it is represented to us, how it is perceived to us. So let's look at the picture. One God. What what does it mean by that divine satisfaction? You got this one sentence there that, that sums it up. When I'm talking about divine satisfaction, God must act at all times in his absolute consistency with his perfection of his character. God, by his very nature, must act according to his nature at all times. See, one theologian said, and, 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 and that's probably not in our notes, it's altogether an error to suppose that God acts at one time according to one of his attributes and another time, according to another one of his attributes, he acts in conformity with all of them at all the time. So every characteristic of God is always available to us, and he's, he, he, he's always complete. He's not just part of, of his character or one of his attributes. He comes at us available with all of his attributes at all times. And then by his very nature... He must act this way, and, 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 and not by something imposed on him from the outside. It said that he, he loved us because that, that, that the devil had a, had, a, had a bet against him or something. No, that's not the way God acts. He must act this way because of his what? His character. By something uh, that was not imposed upon him, that he loved us. Nothing made him love us. He loved us because of who he is, because the scripture tells me that God is love. If God is love, he loves us because that's his character. That's what makeup is. We look at Exodus 3, chapter verses 14. He says that I am who I am. 
Huh? He, he, he explains himself as being who he is. Malachi 3 and 6 tells us that, that God does not change. So God is who he is. James 1 and 17 says that he does not change like shifting shadows. God is not one who changes. So let us consider the character of God. And, and, and now we need to think about the character of God. And I mentioned uh, the real briefly earlier, but we want to look at uh, from a, a, a low view of God. See, if we have a low view of God, uh, and, and, and if we have this type of understanding with God, we always come up short knowing exactly who God is. But when we have this, we, we will never understand the cross if we have a low uh, 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 understanding of God. If we have a shallow understanding of God, our understanding of the cross will be just as shallow. If God is majestic, he's our majestic king who is uh, infinitely offended by sin, infinitely uh, uh, set against sin, then the cross has something great to be able to tell us. The cross is, is addressing the sin question that you and I had from the beginning. The cross was the answer. So the character of God is our overview. So said, who is God? He is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over all. And we're going to bring in some truths as we studied uh, uh, last year when we talked about God. He created all things. He made the heavens, uh, even the highest of heavens and all of the starry hosts in the earth and all therein he made. He made all of that. He knows all things. That's the God we serve. Job, Job 37 says what? He said that, that he's perfect in his knowledge. 1 John 3 says he knows everything. So he created all things and he knows all things. But also the character of God, he sustains all things. Psalms 36 says you preserve both man and beast. So God preserves us. Not only does he preserve us, he is holy above everything. God is unique. He's set apart. He's completely of a completely pure. And then he said that there is only one holy like the Lord, 1 Samuel and 2, Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. Both of them give us this picture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So God is holy above all. He's sovereign over all, and he's a holy above all. And then thirdly, he is righteous in all his ways. Well, what this means is that he is right. God is right in everything that he does. Genesis 18 says that uh, will not he judge over the earth and do right? Deuteronomy 32 says that all of his ways are just. Huh, that's the God we serve, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. Psalm 145 says that the Lord is righteous in all his ways. A lot of people sometimes begin to get angry with God because they don't feel like he's given them a fair deal. But we can never say to God because everything that God does is right. Everything that he does, he is righteous in all that he do. Then flowing from that, uh, he, he's, he's just in all of his wrath. Now listen to me. We understand that how can God be just in his wrath? He is holy. He is righteous. He cannot stand sin. He, he just, his justice flows uh, from his righteousness. His wrath flows from his holiness. We have to be careful because uh, 
Uh, we can dilute the wrath of God sometime, and, and which often we do today in our church uh, environment. We don't want to talk about God's wrath. We don't want to talk about how the wrath of God will come upon the world. However, we will dilute the wrath of God. We will diminish the holiness of God. And, 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 and so uh, I, I, I've got a, a few scriptures that we want to look at to be able to get a good picture that God is just in all of his wrath. Romans 3, 5, and 6 talks about how God is, is, is just bringing his wrath on us. And, and the following Romans 2, when Paul is talking about your, your stubbornness and your, your unrepentant heart and, and, and you're starting up a, a, a wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Uh, when his righteousness and uh, judgment will be revealed. See, God will reveal his righteous judgment and he's storing up his wrath according to the Bible. Second Thessalonians, first chapter five and 10 says that in the middle, he's talked about how, how Jesus will punish those that do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They will be punished with what? Everlasting destruction. When scripture teaches us about his indignant uh, he's indignant towards sin. See, holiness cannot exist. Christ cannot be in the presence of sin. He said that he hate wickedness, or he hate wickedness. And then Psalm 45 said, your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. So he's too good to look upon evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. Habakkuk 5, first chapter, verse 13. And then he said that his, he is indignant towards sin. God is intolerant to sinners. Oh, we're going we're gonna to throw a wrench in it now. We're going to throw a wrench in it now. We always come back to when we talk about uh, uh, that, uh, that, that, that what happened to the idea that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. But the scripture says that here, that, that, that he hates the sin and the sinner. You know, he hates sinners. And God's wrath toward liars, and in Romans 1 and 18, God's wrath rests on sin. And he said that, that uh, John 3, 36, God's wrath rests on sinners. This is the picture. He brings us uh, to our faces. And then you'll see how, why in the Old Testament worship, they fell on their faces. Because when you face the truth of who you are, when God reveals his truth to you, and you see you as, uh, as you are, you can only fall down before Almighty God. You got to bow down to Him because of who you are. Got to bow down to Him because of His greatness. And and there's a holy fear that you and I should have when we come and come to the knowledge of God. The seriousness in approaching God because He is indignant towards sin. He's intolerant to sinners. This is where we are baffled. When you look at the scripture, you think about passages of the Old Testament, New Testament uh, that we wrestle with. And we got a few in our list today. Genesis 19. You remember God's wrath came down on Sodom and Gomorrah? And you remember Lot and his wife, how she was fleeing. And, and then he told her, don't look back. And then when she looked back at the land, she turned into a pillar of salt. You remember Aaron's sons? Faulty worship, capital punishment, and you do things in your own way in worship, and you die. That was the Old Testament. When you did things and approached the throne of God wrongly in the Old Testament, you had to deal with the wrath of God. So let's not make it and try to soften where God's wrath is not real. God's wrath is real. 
and he's real towards sin and sinners. And we build disobedient to God. He does not tolerate sin in his presence. Matthew, Numbers 19, excuse me, Numbers 15 said, when the Israelites were in the desert, a man found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And all of a sudden, this man uh, was put to death, death by stoning for picking up sticks. And, and then sometimes we, 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 we're wondering, just picking up sticks, how can something happen with such a minor infraction of the law? Because of the fact that we need to understand that God demands our obedience. He demands our obedience. Numbers 20, Moses himself does one thing wrong. He disobeys God and he ends up not being able to get into the promised land. So we got to understand God's wrath is real. New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, you know about them. In the New Testament, they were asked to sell all they have and lay it at the apostles' feet. They came and, and laid it at the apostles' feet, but they didn't lay all they had. They tried to deceive them. See, anytime you try to have deceptive worship, you got to deal with God. You got to deal with God. Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, Old Testament. Do we think that our minds and our heart isn't a little uh, 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 severe? And is God overdoing it when we, his punishment seems to be a little severe when we do little things? How do we expect this to happen when we understand that God cannot be uh, a big a big question in his judgment. God cannot be questioned in his righteous wrath toward us. See, there is one we got to realize and think about the severity because we we, we have a very um, uh, man-centered perspective of sin. See, we don't understand why God does things because we got this man perspective. If someone lies to me, uh, someone lies to you, and, and you don't think stone him, we don't think like that. Because we have this man, man uh, uh, perspective of sin. The reality is that it is not uh, a matter of how big or how small the sin is. What is supremely the matter is that, that one who is sinned against. If we sin against a rock, you, you're not very guilty. But if you sin against a man, you're guilty. But if you sin against God, you're infinitely guilty. One sin is an infinite offense in the sight of God who is holy above all and righteous in all his ways, just in all of his wrath. One sin, think about it. It was just one sin in Genesis 3. One sin in Genesis 3 that is causing you and I to deal with everything that we are dealing with right now. Huh? Whether it was the Holocaust or shooting spree, tsunamis or earthquake. All of that was caused by one sin. And, and, and we said that God, he hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Yes, that's a still, we're getting back to that. It's a grain of truth in that. But we have to understand that God demands respect. There is, that's from one sin. You and I, for the rest of our life, is struggling with this thing that we have to deal with that the cross answered. And if you deny the cross, you've denied what can bring uh, some resolution in your life. So this is a serious picture. God is just in his wrath. One more attribute of God. He is loving toward all of his creation. God is love. Uh, 1 John 4th uh, 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 chapter. And now, so what do we mean by that? Just in all of his wrath and love. You, 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 it, it's, it's always tension when you get around 
a relationship with God. There's always tension. You have to deal with uh, uh, you and others and the love that you have for others, the love that you have for yourself, the respect that you have for God. There's always tension. So God is love and feel the tension every day. But we got to understand that that tension that we feel, especially when we, we, we understand the wrath of God, when we start being uh, uh, cognizant of the wrath of God, it brings us into a total understanding of the character of God and who he is. His wrath is part of his character, his love. The scripture said, what would a father do if he didn't chastise his children? God is the same. God loves us and we are his children. And when he chastises us, when his wrath comes down on us, it helps us to understand that he's not pleased with our behavior. That's the type of God we serve. We're going to stop right here on this Friday night. We're going to get in, consider the sinfulness of man on, on, on next week. But we thank God for you joining us on this Friday evening. Uh, let me find which page we're going to get into on our next study. Uh, he's uh, intolerant to sinners. Consider on page 20. We'll start on page 20 in our study on next week. Consider the sinfulness of man. Uh, See, we, we have to look at that and understand that God's love, his, his wrath operates to keep us in alignment. If, his, if, if God did not chastise us, we, we would think that everything is all right and we'll keep doing what we're doing. But we thank God that we have a God that, that he chastises his children because he loves us. His wrath is shown toward us because of the fact that he does not want us to go to hell and die lost. God's desire that all be saved. He does not have any desire to have anyone to be lost. We serve a loving God. We serve a God that, that, that loved us to the point where he sent his darling son Jesus into the world to die for our sins. That's the type of love we have. I like that song that uh, uh, Sharina, Pierman Davis, I had to get the name right. Sharina Davis. She said that they stretched him. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head there. He died. He said, that's love. He said, that's not how the story ends. Three days later, he rose again. That's love. So we got to understand that love of God that he had for us. The reality of the cross is that fact that God loved us so much that he sent his darling son Jesus into the world to die for our sins. But in order for us to escape the wrath that the world will see, the cross did it for you and I. We don't have to be under the wrath of, the, of this world, the wrath that this world will see. Christ, he will cover us. He'll take us in and receive us unto himself. And then we'll have the blessings of eternal life. Come back next week. We'll study, finish studying this study on the cross that, the history of the cross so that we can understand how this relates to us and how we can get this greater understanding of how the power of the cross can come in and change and revolutionize our lives. So we thank y'all for joining us again. We we pray and we want to congratulate again all of our mothers for Mother's Day weekend. Um, God bless you. May have another smile upon you. Bless all of the mothers at Piney Hill Baptist Church and um, bless those mothers that have been so faithful to me and to the church there. And, and we ask that you continue to be supportive of your ministry in the church. 
that God has blessed us to be a part of. And, and, and we're, we're, we're so glad that you're joining us here at On The Wall Ministries, here at Alta Vista, Virginia. And each Friday night, come back on Sunday for our Sunday school hour. Join us whereby we'll be able to study God's word. He said, because of the lack of knowledge, my people perish. God's word, study his word. In season and out of season. So that you can rightly divide that word. God bless you. May heaven up smile upon you. Let us bow. Father God, we thank you for this day, this hour. We thank you for all of your many blessings. We thank you for your darling son, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. The blood shed on Calvary's cross for our sins. To bring us back into oneness. Atonement with God. At one with God. We thank God for that. We pray that you will just continue to help us to uh, teach and to have this study here at On the Wall Ministries. Bless our ministry. Bless my wife's ministry. God gives ministry as, as we, uh, we, we distribute, as we sell, as we collect clothes for the needy. We ask that you would multiply according to your will. Lord, we thank you, Lord, as we praise you. In Christ Jesus' name, let us all say amen. God bless you. May heaven have a smile upon you. We thank you for being supportive of our ministry here and what we are doing here at On the Wall Ministries. God bless you.